Hello, and welcome to the Unearth Podcast. I'm your host, Jack Osborne, and today we will be talking to Ashling Hanrahan, a student at NUIG Galway, Hello. who's devising a piece around Eva Gord Booth for the Festival of New Works. Ashling is a student at NUIG Galway and also works with the Dramsock Committee. Thanks for coming today, Ashling. Thank you for having me. I'm very excited. So, Ashling. Just before we talk about Eva Gore Booth and your play that you're devising, is there any performances that, well, is there any performances that you didn't get to see that you might have liked to see from around the time that the lockdown happened? Or conversely, is there anything that you've seen in the past year that you mightn't have gotten to see because of COVID? Yeah, I have a few. Um... So when the first lockdown came around, we were in the middle of preparing for the Irish Student Drama Awards, um, which were going to be taking place in Galway, actually, we were hosting. So I was assistant directing the show and stage managing the show. Um, and I think the festival was meant to take place about two weeks after college shutdown. <laughs> um, so we were in the midst of rehearsals for that and everything sort of shut down. Um, but since then... Uh, with Jamsock, we've put on a good few Zoom plays and one live stream to play. Um, and there's been a lot of original writing from students, which has been really, really cool. Um, I think the last one we had on was The Last Will and Testicle of Aidan McNamara, <laughs> <laughs> um, which was an original written by a student, um, which was fantastic. So that one stands out to me. I mean, it's it's great to hear that there's still people writing and creating in the midst of all this. And I think, you know, hopefully those plays will be broadcast across the world and have been already. Um, yeah, it's it's sort of created a new space for people, which I think is nice. Um, but it's just, it's so amazing to see that people are still able to create things um, in the midst of what's happening. I suppose, really, when we kind of look at this year, a lot of us have a bit of disappointment because there's so much things that we wanted to do in terms of, you know, we might want to have directed our own thing, but it's encouraging to hear that there's still people pushing the bar and still creating in the midst of all this. Yeah, I don't think this is the year that any of um, our, like, classes expected um, to be having at this point, but yeah. I suppose we should move on to Eva Gore Booth. I know you picked her because of her poetry and her politics, but similarly enough to most artists that we're discussing with this podcast, it's quite curious, I suppose is the word, that they're not already as widely known as we're attempting to make them. It's really strange especially because she was in a circle of really influential writers um like she would have been in sort of Yeats's circle um and she was writing plays that were being produced at the time um and she's really just been completely forgotten about and even it's really difficult to find any information about her that isn't wikipedia <laughs> basically yeah um because she just got completely forgotten, which is so sad. I mean, it's it's incredibly 
confusing to see someone who's as prolific a writer and someone who, as you said, Yates took interest in. And, you know, there's documentation of Yates sending books to her in order to get her to, to write more. Um, yeah. Even the fact that she was one of the founding members of the Urania uh, magazine kind of shows that she was a very influential writer at that time. And just for some reason, we've decided that she shouldn't be a part of the canon or, you know, collectively, we've kind of ignored a lot of the work that she's put. Yeah, it's really, it's really surprising, especially for she took such an interest in Irish, like, myths and legends. And a lot of her plays are written, sort of reimagined versions of Irish mythology. And it's just really... I I feel like her writing, if had it if it had been done by a man, would have we'd be studying it right now, which is so strange. And also, she came from quite a privileged background. She came from a rich family, so it wasn't that she didn't have the resources to write. She was just completely brushed aside. Yeah, it's very strange. I mean, even if we're looking at um. If, even if we're looking at her poetry, it seems to me that, you know, there's a lot of work that goes into how she writes. Even the poem you sent me, Storm, um, it's quite well written. And I know that it's very easy to say that, oh, it's 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 more well written than you'd expect because there's a lot of good writers out there that don't get put into the canon. But I suppose it's very easy to understand the messaging behind it and most of the poetry in the canon gets put onto the leaving cert or the junior cert and it's strange to me that they put a lot of male writers on and they're looking for more female poets to put into these cycles and yet they've disregarded Eva Gore Booth. Yeah, it's, there's so many um, female writers that have just been brushed aside. And it's, I think it's really, it's quite funny because I think so in our, when our courses join up, I think we can agree they're pretty female dominated. Um, Like there's a lot more women in the drama courses in NUIG, at least in our year, than there is men. Yet, yeah. when we study texts on the course, whether it's practitioners or um, we're reading academic papers, they're predominantly written by men, um, and a lot of the practitioners we study are men, which is so strange that it's such a male-dominated industry, but it seems like more women are involved, if that makes sense. Um, I completely agree. Like, it's very strange to see, you know, most of our, as you said, most of our class is uh, female, and most of the lectures in the college are female when it comes to the performing arts sector so you're kind of left wondering are we in the minority in that respect or is it just a case of complete sexism in the industry where you know there'll be a male name as the director but the female will be the producer the tech and the stage manager but it's only the director that gets the credit then yeah it's very very bizarre and also i think just with eva gorbeth I think a large part of the reason, maybe not a large part, but I think because she was so outspoken for women's rights and specifically women's rights in the workforce, 
um, like she believed women had a place in the workforce um, and she never married and she lived and died living with her, as history will put it, her best friend, Esther Roper. <laughs> um, so I think that that might have something to do with it, where she was very outspoken in her beliefs of how she was going to live her life and how she believed women should be represented in society. And that might have been part of the reason why she was sort of brushed aside. When there's questions of sexuality that come pre-1950, I think a lot of people tend to just veer away from that with a with a wide berth. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, people rather just not think about it <laughs> and move on. I think that you're you're right in that sense. Then that perhaps her, the her life is so undefinable to the people of her generation. They can't conceptualize her and therefore try to brush her aside. She's an avid um, feminist and a suffragette. You can see that, as you said, she worked very hard for workers' rights and especially females' workers' rights. And as I said earlier, published the Urania magazine, which dealt with trying to bring to light other female artists' work. So it wasn't a case of she was only working for her own good. She was working for the good of all all women, as she would put it. And I think she also, I think she rejected a lot of the way society functioned, like herself never marrying. And the magazine um, would track the marriage rates globally and celebrate when they fell. <laughs> so I think um, she didn't really subscribe to society's ideas of how you should live your life and specifically how women should live their lives um so yeah wasn't wasn't really a big fan of how things were <laughs> at the time i guess i mean you can't really blame her i suppose no, not at all <laughs> not at all but it's it's interesting to me that there's poets and writers out there that push the boundaries of what society was at the time and it's very I suppose confusing to me as to why we don't now celebrate those authors when we've moved past those boundaries that they themselves were the ones at the forefront of pushing against it. You know we're living in a time where society is telling us to kind of push the boundaries of what an individual can be and it's strange to me that we don't celebrate the people who originated that train of thought yeah which is why i think that the chance we've gotten to do these projects is really important um because it means that we're able to do the research and find these people and sort of bring them back up into conversation which is really important definitely i suppose that brings us on to your project in particular do you want to talk a bit about how you're working with eva gore boots uh, poems and letters and what you're doing so basically i was researching irish female uh practitioners and writers and came across eva Garbuth. and the second that i read about her i was so interested in her um she's just such an interesting person and i decided that i wanted to devise a performance 
using her writings. Um, so it was originally just going to be her poetry and sort of translating her poetry into a more visual performance. Um, but then I got a book on her. I got a book of her poetry and I read the introduction and the introduction was written by Esther Roper, her um, partner in crime, I'll say. Um, her best, her best friend. friend. Um, <laughs> and basically she was explaining from a very personal perspective how amazing Eva was and how Eva touched so many people. Um, and this sort of made me want to bring more of how she is as a person into the performance and not just her work. And also in this book, there's a number of published letters to her friends. Um, and I decided that I wanted to bring some of those letters in to sort of bring bits of her personality that maybe wouldn't be as clear throughout her poetry. Um, so yeah, I don't have a name for the performance yet, but it is going to be a devised performance from her writings. And I'm very excited about it. I mean, I think it's it's very good that you're bringing in her letters because you know when you look at poets and you look at their poetry there's a there's a performed mask that's there that I don't think a lot of people realize um especially with poets that are a bit more personal in their writings people can kind of forget that there is a, a separation between the the art and the artist and bringing in the letters kind of shows more of her personality and how she would speak to, you know, her friends and people that she would consider uh, peers. Yeah, absolutely. And I think something I've realized in the process of sort of preparing for rehearsals to start on this is that I think one of the outcomes I want to come out of this is for people to see the performance and decide they're interested in her and they want to go and read up about her because there's no way that I can communicate everything about her and how amazing she is in one like 30 minute performance um so if I can make something that will cause people to sort of take an interest and go and read some of her poems or read some of her writings or google her um, I will be delighted that's always the aim when it comes to poets I think because no matter how much you can say oh Ivan Boland is one of the greatest poets that Ireland has to offer people won't understand what you're talking about until they read some of the work and realize the significance of the poet yeah absolutely one of the aims of the festival is as you said to bring the the artists to light and get them in the discussion because we believe that they're supposed to be a part of the Irish canon and one of the things that I've done in the past two podcasts is discuss the kind of the wider context of why they shouldn't be or they weren't rather they weren't the they weren't put in the canon uh, for the first podcast it was to do with Irish language theatre the second it was to do with the individual artists connection to the troubles and how we collectively try to move past that i suppose when it comes to evogor boot specifically it is genuinely to do with the fact that she wouldn't conform to what society wanted and the ambiguity surrounding 
her and her best friend, Esther. Yeah. And I think that's so funny because I feel like poets and artists rarely subscribe to the culture they live in um, for the most part, but it just, they're on a scale and it's depending on how how well they hit it or how well they hit it throughout their work or who they were as a person in terms of like their race, their age, their sexuality, their gender decides whether they're going to make it onto um, the canon or not, which is quite funny because I think a lot of influential writers or artists didn't agree with the society they were living in, but it just depends uh, on a multiple <laughs> multiple number of things on whether they're going to be remembered despite that. Definitely. I think in Eva's case, it is specifically about gender because we look at, you know, Oscar Wilde, who's a celebrated, the celebrated Irish gay poet in quotations. And the only yeah. reason that he's celebrated and she's not is gender. It's because, you know, he was a man. He was able to get away with a bit more. Yeah. And I think in terms of her sexuality, something I learned uh, recently, as in last weekend, which is really interesting in like respect to like queer history, is that a lot of the laws that have been in place, like outlawing homosexuality in various countries, generally only refer to men. And the reason for that isn't that like <laughs> societies thought, oh, it's fine if women are gay. It's just because it was widely disputed whether women had a sexuality and whether women were like physically or mentally able to be attracted to people which is bizarre it's so strange um that's, so i that's really yeah it's to do with like autonomy and whether society believed women were capable <laughs> of being gay <laughs> um they believed men could be um so yeah it's interesting so i think that's probably why it wasn't as it's not as discussed because Oscar Wilde it would have been far more of an outrageous thing for him whereas with Eva Gore Booth people were fairly happy to just let women do whatever because they were women and it didn't really matter as long as they were fulfilling their role um so yeah there's an interesting tidbit for you <laughs> that's something you know it's very weird for us to kind of consider the the lens in which people viewed everything like a hundred two hundred years ago like we've we've shifted culturally i think so much that it's very hard for us to see how people viewed the world through that lens without questioning it yeah absolutely but you sent me um a poem uh called a storm by Eva Rebuth. Is there any significance to that specific poem or is it just one that you will be including in the performance itself? Um, the thing that caught my eye with that, so I was flicking through the book's poems and I was sort of like reading some of them and I was taking photos of ones that interested me and the thing that caught my eye with this one is the sort of visuals in it um, that I think are just really lovely and I think various colors are mentioned in it and yeah it's just really strong imagery and I love flowers and seasons and stars and colors 
Um, so it's just a poem that really stood out to me that I wanted to sort of investigate more within the performance. I mean, as as you said, it's it's quite visually striking. But one thing I did want to point out is that, you know, in the poem, she uses the she, her pronouns throughout the poem. And I think that's something that we don't see often in poetry. Because we're so used to male-dominated poets, we're used to seeing he, him as the protagonist within poems. Um, even some of Boland's work and yeah, uh, some of Nihilinan's work, they both still have um, he, him pronouns, depending on who the subject of their poem is. And I think it's interesting that, you know, she didn't give up her gender, she didn't give up her personality to become a poet. She still was a female and she still wrote from the female perspective. Yeah, and that was something that came in a lot when she was writing using like Irish mythology and Irish legends is that she would focus on the women and she would make the women's voices heard within those contexts, which is really interesting. Um, and there is a poem, and I can't remember what it is off the top of my head, but um, she sort of declares her love to the personification of like Ireland or the personification of nature which a lot of male poets do but when male poets do it it's sort of seen as like a slightly romantic thing um she did the exact same thing but it's from a female perspective <laughs> um <laughs> so yeah she's really interesting she was very unapologetically female I think and was very not scared to use her female voice in her writing it is interesting that you know, she was political in that sense that she didn't give up her femininity for the sake of becoming a popular writer. But she also, you know, as a, as we said earlier, did put on other female poets in Urania. And she was interested in not only politics, but she was also interested in science, uh, which was kind of evident in the letter that you sent me on as well. You know, half of the letter just talks about her discussing uh, Einstein's theory of relativity when it was coming out, which in its own right should be a historical document for the sake of we don't know what the culture was like discussing yeah. these, these scientific <laughs> foundations. But even from its own respect, it shows the level of intelligence that Eva Gorbuth had. Yeah, she was so, so intelligent. Um one of the I think one of the funny things in that letter is her she brings up um the Buddhist wheel of life <laughs> um while talking about time and space, which I just think is so funny. Um yeah, she was clearly very intelligent and thought a lot about a lot of things and didn't really corner herself off to one academic interest, if that makes sense. Um, which is why I just think her letters are so so important I, I completely agree with you but even as you said like talking about the buddhist wheel of life rather than giving a catholic equivalent just shows how how much she's willing to kind of talk about what she feels is the most apt metaphor rather than conforming to what society thinks should be the most apt metaphor yeah absolutely. you know it, it it would have been 
very easy for her to give a Catholic um, equivalent, and that would that would have been the the seemly thing to do, I suppose. But she she goes and she talks about the Buddhist wheel of life, which for someone in her time period was probably a very um, exotic thing at the time. In nineteen twenty, I I think like even Protestantism in Ireland was the other religion. There was there was Protestantism or Catholicism. Yeah. And Hinduism or Islam or any of these other uh religions weren't seen as they weren't seen as something that could be within the Irish conversation. Yeah, she was very interested in different religions. I actually have a section from the same letter, but it's further on where she's talking about um so I'll just read it to you because it's interesting. My plan is to take one by one the fundamental religious instincts such as the sense of something wrong, sacrifice, etc., and trace and analyze these ideas in the different religions, showing how they work out in the religions of power and the religions of wisdom, on the principle that in every so-called religion there are these two cults, and the real division is not Christianity, Buddhism, Mahomedanism, etc., but those who follow the path of love and prayer in each, and those who put their faith in organized and goodness and churches. Um, so she clearly <laughs> thought a lot about religion and not just within the Christian context, which is, yeah, really interesting. It's really interesting to hear that because it's kind of the same cultural realization we made a few years back where, you know, there's religion has kind of follows two sects. It follows the institution and it follows the, the teachings. Yeah. And, you know, I think culturally we've shifted into that dynamic but it's really interesting to hear again from someone in 1920 who's saying the exact same thing yeah it just shows the level of intelligence that that gorbuth was capable of and she was able to investigate religion to such a high degree that she has made this distinction before it was even analyzed by anyone else yeah um, it also proves that there's no original thought. <laughs> we we just keep <laughs> digging up theories every twenty years and going, wow, this is really interesting. Um, yeah, no, she's so such an interesting person. I need to do. I ordered a book that's a biography that was written about her. Um, so I'm very excited to get that and read it because I feel like I have. Um, I should say I am not an expert on Eva Gorbuth at all. <laughs> I've just taken a big interest in her, um, but I'm so excited to learn more about her. At the end of the day, I think that's the heart of this festival, though, just finding a writer who is as talented and interesting and intelligent as Eva Gorbuth and digging into them and seeing what they have to offer and maybe putting on a show in your case or maybe just putting their works up in a gallery and shouting to the world <laughs> here is this person but it's really reminding everyone that they exist <laughs> that's it like it's really interesting to me that you know you've gone down the route the route of a dramatist in the sense that you're putting on these poems visually and it's really interesting to me to see how you'll work through that and 
whether or not you do that online or in person is probably still up in the air. Yeah, honestly, I'm interested to find out what happens as well. Um, it's <laughs> going to be a big learning curve. And also because it's a devised piece, it's sort of nice because it's not just me coming in and being like, here are all the things we're going to do with her work. It's a much more collaborative process. Um, so I'm excited to see what comes out of collaborating with others. But even with your other devisers, you've already shared uh, Gorboots or works with that's true, these other yeah. people so you've already succeeded in a sense <laughs> <laughs> Woo! i can cancel the performance <laughs> done what i came here to do but yeah i i do look forward to seeing it and hopefully we'll be able to um have it in a live capacity and if not i i think you know if anyone can put on a show on zoom it's going to be you and <laughs> You know, you've you you've the experience from Dramsock and you yeah. you definitely have or know at least people who have the capability of all the technical wizardry of Zoom. So it will be very interesting <laughs> to see how it comes along. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Uh, thank you very much, Ashling, for coming. Um it's been very interesting to talk about Eva Gorbuth and you know, her different aspects of her life her feminism the you know uh, sexual ambiguity surrounding her and how she didn't really conform to society but also was as you have shown seemingly years ahead of what society had to offer thank you so much for having me on it's a lot of fun thanks ashling Next week, we'll be talking to Rebecca Moore and Rio Tanaka about two individuals, Maura Laverty and Helen Waddell. Rebecca and Rio are both editing works by these two writers. Until next time, this is Jack Osborne signing off.